Hello and welcome to this podcast on the implementation of the OECD's Pillar 2 rules. This podcast is part of the Ellen and Overy series, OECD Pillar Talk, Conversations on Global Tax Reforms for a Digital World. My name is Mitchell Fraser, and I am a tax associate in the London office of Ellen and Overy. And I am joined by Sorsha Riley, who is a senior tax associate in the London office, Charlotte Hoff, who is a tax associate in our Amsterdam office, and Christoph Zilgens, who is a tax associate in our Dusseldorf office. In today's discussion, we are looking at the progressive implementation of Pillar 2 across the OECD inclusive framework countries, specifically focusing on the UK, the Netherlands and Germany. Now, of course, Pillar 2 is a series of rules devised and agreed by the OECD inclusive framework jurisdictions designed to implement a global minimum corporation tax rate of 15% on certain multinational groups of companies. Charlotte, would you mind just setting at a high level a little bit of the scene, um, giving us a brief overview of the rules? Sure, Mitchell. I know that we have discussed Pillar 2 in a previous webinar, so I won't go into too much detail. But broadly, what Pillar 2 compromises is a global minimum tax rule. The underlying idea is relatively simple. The multinationals to which the rules apply, they must pay a minimum of 15% tax in every jurisdiction in which they operate. The idea is straightforward, but the architecture of implementation not so much. The OECD inclusive framework jurisdiction have worked very hard to come up with a set of model rules, and these have been supplemented by commentary and agreed administrative guidance. The agreed framework is the culmination of many years of negotiation and development, and the rules are very complex. They are also still not yet complete, despite the fact that we are very close to the implementation date. Where the effective tax rate in the jurisdiction is less than 15%, Pillar 2 top-up taxes can apply. Thanks, Charlotte. That all sounds interesting. Um, you mentioned the effective tax rate. How is that determined, and what would those top-up taxes look like? Where the rules apply? you need to first establish what the effective tax rate in a particular jurisdiction is. And for this purpose, it's obviously not possible to use the jurisdiction tax rules, since otherwise you might be comparing apples with pears. So what the model rules do is to determine the effective rate of tax by reference to international agreed accountancy principles, based on the consolidated accounts and then subject to various specified adjustments. If the result is an effective tax rate, of less than 50%, then the model rules look to recover this through the use of two interlocking main rules. The first rule is an income inclusion rule, and the other rule is the undertax payments rule. Further down the line, there will also be a subject to tax rule, which will supplement the aforementioned rules. The income inclusion rule is the primary mechanism for recovery. This looks to impose a top-up tax on the group's parent's entity. If the income inclusion rule is not sufficient to impose the top-up tax payable, the undertax payments rule acts as a backup. It will allocate any top-up tax that has not been allocated under the income inclusion rule among the countries in which the group has operation, in proportion to its payroll costs and tangible asset value, usually by attributing a deemed additional cash tax expense, but there can be flexibility on this. The subject of tax rule, which is to be implemented at some undetermined later date, is envisaged to be treaty-based rule that allows the source jurisdiction to impose a withholding tax or deny treaty benefits on cross-border payments, 
if the payment is subject to an effective tax rate below the minimum threshold in the recipient jurisdiction. This rule will fill gaps in which neither the income inclusion rule nor the under tax payments rule will apply, such as when the payer and the recipient are not part of the same multinational group, or when the payment is made to a jurisdiction that is not a member of the Pillar 2 framework. Thanks, Charlotte. Now, Christoph, Charlotte's already touched a little bit on implementation, but can you talk us through the OECD's proposed timeline for jurisdictions to implement these rules? Sure. The timetable has slipped a bit over time, but the current table is that the income inclusion rules should come into force in respect of accounting periods beginning on or after the 31st December 2023. And the under tax payment rules should come into effect a year later, so in respect of accounting periods beginning on or after the 31st December 2024. But in some respect, the work is only just beginning, because these complex rules must now be implemented at a domestic level in each of the inclusive framework countries. One of the key difficulties in implementing the legislation at a domestic level is that the model rules are not yet complete. The rules, and in particular the guidance, are still developing on a, uh, at the OECD level. This makes domestic implementation additionally difficult, not to mention preparation by taxpayers for its introduction. Given that the rules will be in full effect very shortly, this makes domestic implementation additionally complex. Also, it has to be noted that the OECD model rules are not mandatory. This means that the inclusive framework members are not obliged to implement them. However, if they do, they agree to do so on the basis of a common approach set out in the model rules. Thanks for that, Christoph. Um, so turning then uh, to the UK specifically, Sorsha, would you mind just talking us through uh, the status of implementation in the UK? Thanks, Mitchell. The UK has been a very keen adopter of the Pillar 2 proposals, and the UK was actually one of the first jurisdictions to publish domestic legislation in this area, which it did in July last year. In the UK, the rules are actually described as a multinational top-up tax. And in March 2023, so just a few weeks ago really, the UK government published an updated version of the draft legislation as part of its second finance bill. And this builds on the draft legislation published in July last year. In part, the version published in March has been updated to reflect developments in the OECD's proposals. So, for example, it now includes provisions relating to a qualified minimum domestic top-up tax, because the OECD has now published additional detail on this. And the idea of this qualified domestic minimum top-up tax is that where the domestic jurisdiction imposes its own version of a minimum tax, provided that tax is regarded as substantively equivalent to the Pillar 2 provisions, it will still be available to set off as a full credit against the top-up tax that would otherwise be imposed. In other words, this applies a version of the income inclusion rule to domestic UK entities and therefore enables the UK to benefit from a tax that might otherwise arise in another jurisdiction. And Charlotte, how does that compare with the position in the EU? In the EU, Pillar 2 is implemented under a directive adopted at the end of 2022. The timeline is the same as Pillar 2, so member states are required to transpose the directive into national legislation by the 31st of December 2023. And the income inclusion rule will be applicable for fiscal years starting on or after 31st December 2023. 
The undertax payment rule will apply for fiscal years starting on or after 31st December 2024. Christoph mentioned that at OECD level, the Pillar 2 and the GLOBE rules are not mandatory. That is, OECD inclusive framework members are not obliged to implement them. However, if they do, they agree to do so on the basis of the common approach set out in the model rules. By contrast, for EU member states, there is no leeway. We are required to implement the rules. By way of additional background, it is probably also worth noting that the EU directive was first proposed in December 2021. However, it proved to be very difficult to agree between member states and there has been much political wrangling, including threat of veto by various members. However, the text was finally agreed in December 2022. And has the Netherlands now introduced draft legislation to implement the directive? Yes, the Netherlands has indeed. Netherlands was actually the first member state to publish draft legislation. The Dutch draft legislation was published in October 2022, so that was even before the directive was agreed. And the draft legislation is very faithful to the terms of the directive. The Dutch draft legislation reflects the OECD model rules exactly. It is also interesting that the Dutch draft legislation has been written as a separate tax act and is not as part of the Dutch Corporate Income Tax Act. It introduces thus an entirely new profit tax system alongside the current Dutch Corporate Income Tax System, with its own definitions, bases and calculations, which makes it rather complex. Sounds like it. Christoph, is it correct that there is also now German draft legislation implementing Pillar 2? Yes, the German Ministry of Finance published a discussion draft implementing Pillar 2 at the end of March, which is open for consultation until the 21st of April. As expected, the draft also follows very closely the provisions of the EU directive and the OECD. As Charlotte already outlined, for the Netherlands, Germany also envisaged implementing the minimum taxation in a separate law, alongside the German Corporate Income Tax Act. Germany proposes implementation by an income inclusion rule, an undertax payment rule, as well as a qualified domestic top-up tax. The latter shall apply in cases of a law taxation in Germany, which is in practice a rather unlikely scenario. In addition, the draft provides for simplifications such as the safe harbor rule for qualified domestic top-up tax, simplifications in calculation for so-called insignificant business units, as well as temporary safe harbors, the so-called CBCR safe harbors. From our perspective, the CBCR safe harbor rules are likely to be particularly relevant for practice. Thanks, Christoph. And Charlotte, what is the status of the safe harbors in the Netherlands? The Dutch draft legislation has included a delegation provision in respect of the safe harbor rule. The condition, which will derive from the OECD inclusive framework, will be included in a ministerial regulation, but have not yet been drafted. Thanks all. Now, Sosha, are there any obvious uh, or any other obvious differences between the UK and the Dutch and German versions of the Pillar 2 proposals? So there are some differences, but in practice, these might not be as significant as they first appear. So, for example, one of the biggest differences is that the model rules only apply to groups of companies with operations in more than one jurisdiction. By contrast, the EU directive also applies to domestic-only groups. And while that might sound significant, in practice, 
the integration of the qualified domestic top-up tax means that the UK, for example, effectively imposes its own version of a minimum tax on domestic-only groups. So there should be no difference either in the calculation of any top-up tax or its incidence. Provided that tax is regarded as substantively equivalent to the Pillar 2 rules, it will still be available to set off as a full credit against the top-up tax that would otherwise be imposed. It is also interesting to note that whilst there are not necessarily differences in the rules themselves, jurisdictions do appear to be at different stages of implementation. Penalties is one example. The Dutch draft legislation has proposed to implement the penalties as follows. In case a constituent entity fails to file top-up tax information returned timely to the Dutch tax authorities, a fine of up to €900,000 may be imposed in case of willful misconduct or gross negligence. In case of a constituent entity or the designated local entity has failed to notify the Dutch tax authorities of the entity that is filing the top of tax information return, a fine of up to €22,500 may be imposed. In this context, it should be added for Germany that it constitutes an administrative offence if an information return is not, not completely or not timely submitted, either intentionally or negligently. However, the amount of the fine is not determined in the draft. Moreover, a transitional penalty relief, as envisaged by the OECD for the transitional period, is not included in the German draft. Thanks, Christoph. Another example is the implementation of the undertax payments rule as to where there could be difference in implementation as between jurisdictions. The Pillar 2 directive requires EU member states to implement two different measures, being the Income Inclusion Rules and the Undertax Payments Rules. Regarding the Undertax Payment Rule, the EU member states may choose to implement this rule by way of either a top-up tax or a denial of deduction. The Netherlands has opted for the separate top-up tax, and as said by Christoph earlier, so has Germany whereas the UK hasn't yet any guidance on this. That's an excellent point, Charlotte, and thank you for flagging. And it is interesting because even in its second iteration of the draft legislation implementing the multinational top-up tax, the UK government hasn't included any provision substantively introducing the under-tax payments rule, although its existence is contemplated in the context of other jurisdictions. Thanks, Sorsha. So if the core provisions are at least very similar across these three jurisdictions in particular, does that mean we can look forward to a seamless integration of Pillar 2 into the international tax system? Or would that be wishful thinking? Christoph, what are your thoughts? Well, that may be optimistic. The language of two provisions could seem absolutely identical, but there could be still differences in interpretation under domestic law between different jurisdictions. The reality is that dispute resolution provisions and ideally the avoidance of disputes arising in the first place will be very important. In addition, as Charlotte mentioned, there could be issues in relation to Pillar 2 rules being overlaid on top of the existing laws in the respective jurisdictions. Further, the drafting and scope of domestic tax administration provisions, as well as those relating to collection and enforcement of taxes, will be significant. It is probably also worth mentioning here that although we are discussing the UK, the Netherlands and Germany today, many other jurisdictions will of course be publishing their domestic legislation. And as we get closer to the effective date of implementation, 
We are seeing more discussion at a transactional level about the allocation of risk in the market. Now, we are by no means at an agreed market position, but we are certainly seeing lively discussion about risk in the context of a wide range of transactions. And so this is a very interesting developing area in practice. Thanks, Sorsha. So I guess it is a bit of a case of watching this space. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you to all of those who have joined us. I hope you found this helpful. And thank you also to my colleagues. If you would like to discuss any of these issues further, then do get in touch with any of the speakers today. We are very interested to hear your questions and feedback. Our next discussion will be focusing on implications of the Pillar 2 rules for investment funds and other investment vehicles. If there is anything in particular that you consider would be helpful for us to cover in that or other future podcasts, then please do get in touch. Mm-hmm.